Our first reading from God's Word is from the book of Romans. The book of Romans, uh, chapter 12. Uh, the title of the sermon this evening from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 to 16 is Christian living. And uh, that's what Romans 12 is principally about. The first 11 chapters in Romans is about God's plan of salvation for Jew and Gentile. And having considered the great doctrines of the faith, then uh, the responsibility, the response of believers is outlined in, in chapter 12 especially. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. So reads God's holy word. Well, turn with me again to First Peter, and we're going to take a short reading uh, from verse 13 of this, this chapter. First Peter, uh, chapter 1, and from verse 13, let us hear the word of God. Uh, I want you to note the, the first word. It's a, a significant word, and I'll be explaining more about it in the sermon. Therefore, therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with, with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. So reads God's holy word. Chemistry was one of the subjects that I did at school. That was a long time ago, but I still remember uh, the timetable and how it was devised so that we had theory first and then the practical came after that. The chemistry teacher would explain something about the chemical elements and the periodic table. And then there was followed the practical, experimenting in one of those elements in the lab. Theory first, practice followed. In the first part of First uh, Peter chapter 1 up to verse 12, the emphasis, we might say, has been on the theory and some of the great doctrines, some of the great truths that are foundational to our faith. In verses 3 to 5, we have identified for us the blessings associated with our faith, verses of which I preached when I was here 
early in December. The outline, some of you may recall, we thought about the blessing of the new birth. We thought about the blessing of a living hope. We thought about the blessing of a glorious inheritance and the blessing of ironclad security. And linking all these blessings together is the salvation experienced by the believer. Then Peter goes on to write about one of the great realities that God's people experience, the reality and purpose of suffering. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And coupled with that, Peter spells out the hope of glory that believers anticipate in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verses 10 to 12 we considered this morning, which again centered around the great theme of salvation. Up to verse 12, Peter has been writing primarily about what God has done, or what God is doing, or what God will do in the life of the believer. After verse 12, we reach a turning point in the letter. Again, notice how verse 13 begins. Therefore, therefore, it's a simple word, but it alerts us to the fact that what Peter has written up to verse 12 has consequences. Consequences that are presented as challenges. Challenges as to how believers ought to live. Challenges as to how believers ought to order their lives. Peter had been writing to these scattered believers about all the blessings of salvation. Now he's saying to them, this is how you ought to respond to the grace of God in your life. This follows a a similar pattern to Exodus chapter 20. God's people had just come out of Egypt. They had been delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They had been set free by God and his his powerful right hand, by his love and mercy. Verse 2 of uh, Exodus 20 speaks of that redemption, that deliverance that they had just experienced. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's what God had done for them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't merit it. But God did it freely by his grace. Now the response of the redeemed is clearly specified in verses 3 to 17, what we normally call the Ten Commandments, the first of which is, You shall have no other gods before me. And then the other nine commandments follow. Verse 13 of 1 Peter begins, Therefore, therefore, as a consequence of this great salvation you have experienced, here is how you ought to show your gratitude to God. And so first of all, the duty of mental discipline the duty of mental discipline, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first phrase, uh, preparing your minds for action, 
and being sober-minded is literally gird up the loins of your mind. The picture here is of a person dressed in long flowing robes, typical of the culture of first century Turkey. If that person was going to engage in energetic activity, he would have to do something about his clothing. If left unattended, his flowing outward, outer garments would flap around his ankles and greatly impede his progress. To remedy the situation, he had to pick up the hem of his outer garment and tuck it under his belt. With the long flowing garment now out of the way, he would be able to run unhindered. Well, Peter is not thinking about physical activity. Rather, he has in mind mental activity. In the same way as loose, loose clothing impedes physical progress, so loose thinking impedes spiritual progress. Loose thinking impedes spiritual progress. Peter is calling for mental discipline. He's calling Christians to exercise self-control in the realm of the mind. John Stott has written many books and among his literary output is a little gem entitled Your Mind Matters. Your Mind Matters. And in it he argues uh, that, uh, that uh, the, the mind is, is key to Christian growth and development. In this little book he deals with six spheres of Christian living and in each sphere he argues that it is impossible to make progress without the disciplined and energetic use of the mind. Six uh, stops, six spheres of Christian living uh, are Christian worship, Christian faith, Christian holiness, Christian guidance, Christian evangelism, and Christian ministry. We'll just explore the first one for a moment, Christian worship. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind when you worship God, for example. As you approach the worship of Almighty God on the Sabbath, prepare your mind for action. Worship calls for participation. As the Psalms are sung, your mind should be engaged in the words that are being employed. As the prayers are being offered to God, the minister or the elder is leading you. He is your mouthpiece. So you need to concentrate on the petitions so that the petitions of the, the minister or elder become your petitions, that they become the petitions of everyone gathered in the building. And as the scriptures are read and as the word is preached, you need to listen because it is the voice of Christ addressing you through the word read and the word preached. This means that in all aspects of worship, you are to use your mind. You are to think. You are to pay attention. You are to take heed. Sadly, many people do not exercise their mental faculties when they come to worship. They come to have their emotions stirred or they come to get a, 
a feel-good factor, or they come to enter into mindless worship. But that is not the worship that God has commanded, nor is it the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. Your mind matters with respect to worship. Therefore, engage in worship and have your mind instructed. Have your mind challenged. Have your conscience pricked. Of course, mindless worship is not only a 21st century phenomenon. Jesus found it during his days on earth. Mark 7, verse 6. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. We live in the era of television and the internet and many forms of social media. And these forms of communication militate against They militate against a disciplined, energetic, and self-controlled use of the mind. Most television programs don't invite you to think, or to think deeply about anything. And so an overdose, an overdose of television is likely to produce a flabby, feeble mind. And such a mind... Such a mind has difficulty, great difficulty, grappling with the great issues of life. And by extension, the Christian with such a mind has great difficulty grappling with the great and precious doctrines of the faith. Friends, your mind matters. Give attention to reading. Prepare yourself for worship with plenty of rest and sleep on Saturday night, so that on the Sabbath you will be alert. You will be able to worship God with your whole being, and especially with your mind. The duty of mental discipline. Then, secondly, the character of true godliness. The character of true godliness. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Be sober-minded, we read. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are not to permit our minds to be intoxicated with temporal and frivolous things. It is otherwise translated as being self-controlled. And if you're not sober-minded, if you're not self-controlled, if you have not harnessed your mind, then it will be like a piece of driftwood. It will be carried along with the ebb and flow of the tide of life. It will drift along with the spirit of the age. It will be carried along with the current of popular opinion. And that will not, absolutely not, promote spiritual health. Rather, the opposite, it will lead to spiritual decline. So be be sober-minded, Peter tells us. And not to be sober-minded has serious consequences. One writer warns us, 
I quote, letting the mind wander into any kind of mental intoxication or addiction inhibits spiritual alertness. He goes on to write, laziness of mind lulls Christians into sin through carelessness. So be sober-minded, be self-controlled. It is very easy to lose spiritual concentration by being intoxicated or fixated with the things of this life. For example, being intoxicated or fixated about your career or your possessions or your recreational activities or your reputation, or your friendships, or your learning. All of these things are good in and of themselves. But if you become intoxicated with them, if you become fixated by them, then they become idols in your life. Then they become false gods to you and can so easily lead to your spiritual ruin. And so to protect yourself from such idolatry, Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Notice he writes, set your hope fully. The word fully implies a confident and eager expectation. It implies a a very strong hope. And what are we to, to, to place this strong hope on? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ returns. When Jesus Christ comes back and is revealed to you. He's thinking, Peter's thinking about what believers will receive at the return of Christ, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this is wrapped up in that beautiful little word, grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you. What then is this grace upon which we are to set our hope? On on what future blessings Are our minds to be focused? What is this grace that will be ours when Christ returns? Well, uh, it is a number of things. It is at Christ's return that our salvation will be made complete. We were alluding to that this morning. It is at Christ's return that the general resurrection will occur. It is at Christ's return that our glorified souls will meet up with our resurrected bodies. And it is at Christ's return that we will be welcomed into the new heaven and the new earth to worship the Lord forever with all his saints. The grace to be given us at Christ's return. What a prospect. And so it is on this grace, these future blessings that believers are to be focused. It is this future glory that you and I are to anticipate, even as we are preoccupied with present duty. And a good example is Abraham. 
In Genesis 13, we read that he was rich in silver and gold and livestock and land. But these things, these earthly things, these earthly possessions did not distract him in the slightest. The delights of earthly Canaan did not so much preoccupy his mind to the detriment of his future vision. And we know that because of what we read in Hebrews 11 verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Yes, he was busy about the responsibilities that God had given him in Canaan, but he was looking forward and anticipating future glory in the city that God was preparing for all his people. We can say about Abraham, the torch of faith burned brightly in the soul of that ancient patriarch. The character of true godliness, not consumed with empire building, not absorbed with laying up treasure on earth, not fixated with attempting to establish a little bit of heaven on earth, but rather, as Peter puts it, with the force of a command, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The duty of mental discipline, the character of true godliness, and then, thirdly, a constant challenge to remember. A constant challenge to remember. Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. He's coming back again to usher in the kingdom of glory in all its magnificence and in all its majestic splendor. And then, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a time when every believer will hear the summons from King Jesus. Come, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is the grace to be given to you. The question is, in the light of future glory, how should we live now on earth in preparation for life in heaven then? How should we live on earth now in preparation for life in heaven then? Well, Peter answers that question. He answers it, first of all, in the negative and then in the positive. The negative is found in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter is thinking here of the passions, the evil desires that occupied the thoughts of these believers prior to their knowing Christ, prior to their conversion. The sinful passions that dominated their lives must dominate them no longer. And remember, the dying embers of those passions are still present in all of us. Still present in all of us in the cracks and crevices of our minds. 
There, in our old nature, is the remaining corruption of the flesh. And because of that, because of that, we must be careful to avoid places and television programs and internet sites and people who would fan those dying passions into flame. For young people, it may be a dimly lit nightclub. For middle-aged people, it may be a, a television movie with explicit warnings of sexual scenes. For older people, it may be books or magazines that sow seeds of doubt concerning God's saving mercy and sustaining grace. So heed the warning. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's the negative. But then there is the positive in verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The key word in these two verses is holy. It occurs four times. So what is its meaning? How are we to define this word holy? Holy means to be separated from sin and to be devoted to the good. Separated from sin, devoted to the good. We are told in verse 15 clearly, explicitly, that God is holy. And as God is holy, we are to be holy too. In other words, we're to become like our Father in heaven. We've been adopted uh, into the family of God. We are his children. And we are to develop the likeness of our heavenly Father. The challenge, the command to be like God, is reinforced by a verse from the Old Testament. Verse 16 comes from Leviticus 11, verse 44. Be holy, for I am holy. Now, if I'm to be like God, then that begs the question, what is God like? If I'm to, to develop the likeness uh, of the eternal, uh, of God in heaven, well, what is God like? Well, although no man has seen God, we've been given a picture of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Shortly before the crucifixion in the upper room, Philip became increasingly curious about what God the Father looked like. And so he he asked the straightforward question to Jesus, John 14, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. We will be satisfied. The answer Jesus gave is most revealing. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. So what does God look like? He looks like Jesus. And so if we are to aspire to holiness, we are to walk in the same way 
as Jesus walked. As Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Another way of thinking about what God looks like, uh, another way of thinking about the character of God is by being familiar with the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 and 1 to 17. These laws provide for you and for me a picture of what God is like in his being, in his character, in his holiness. They provide for us an objective picture of, of his his character. And when we are challenged to be holy, when we are challenged to, to uh, be like God, we are then therefore challenged to keep the commandments, synonymous with keeping the covenant. And of course what is true of the, the Decalogue is true of God's word in its entirety. You are to be subject to the Bible. You are to seek to live in the light of its truth. You must seek to conform your life to the pattern it presents. Now that may seem an impossible challenge. But we're not left to do this on our own. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Who strengthens us. Who who leads us in pathways of righteousness. John Brown has written an excellent commentary on 1 Peter. And in relation to holiness he states... So far as I really understand and believe God's word, God's mind becomes my mind. God's will becomes my will. And according to the measure of my faith, I become holy. So holiness is not some mystical experience. It's not identified with a monastic existence or some bizarre and austere lifestyle. Rather, being holy consists in you conforming your life by grace and by the Holy Spirit's help to the mind and will of Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures. Always keep before you the standard of holiness is God. Be holy, for I am holy. You see, there is a temptation for Christians to compare themselves with other Christians and think, well, I'm not doing too badly. I'm doing all right. Well, that is extremely dangerous and can lead you to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Rather, always look to Jesus Christ and you will see how far short you fall, how sinful you really are. And so each day you must repent and seek his grace to die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness. Live more to the pattern and imperatives found in the word of God. Sadly, there are some people who profess Christ but live in the shallows of Christian conduct and behavior with no desire whatsoever to be holy. But you must remember, and every professing Christian must remember, holiness is not some kind of additional extra for a few elite Christians. 
No, holiness is a primary and fundamental importance for everyone, for every person that confesses the name of Jesus. Remember the challenging words of Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So remember, your mind matters. Remember that great salvation you have received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And as you remember what you've received, the blessings in Christ that you enjoy, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You should be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the immense privilege that we have had this evening to worship you, the High and Holy One. And we thank you that in our worship you have spoken to us, you have addressed us through your word uh, to be like you, to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. And we thank you, Father, that as you did not leave Moses and Aaron and your people of old uh, without a pattern of holiness, uh, you have not left us, O Lord, in the darkness. And so we thank you for your word and for the clear imperatives that are found in your word, that we can show our gratitude to the God who has saved us by living as Jesus lived, by walking in uprightness, by by letting the light of your truth shine forth in lives that are reflecting the holiness of our God. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. What a mighty Holy Spirit he is dwelling in each one of our hearts, the one who who prompts us to walk along paths of righteousness for your own name's sake, the one who rebukes us when we are tempted to sin. And so we thank you for him, and we do pray that we might be sensitive always to his leading, especially as he leads us to understand your word more perfectly. And so our Father be with us tonight and through the days of this week upon which we have entered, and help all your people, uh, those who are frail and weak especially, we commit them to you, O God. Now receive the blessing of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.